When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Knife Talk is sponsored by Even Heat, the manufacturers of the finest heat-treating ovens available. Find your next oven at evenheat-kiln.com. To the chopper! Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever you are joining us from. Thank you so much. This is Knife Talk Podcast. My name is Marco Malmasi. I'm here with Craig Lockwood of Chop Knives and Jeff Fader of Fader Knives. We talk knives. We answer questions. Uh, we also bust each other's chops. So we're just going to get right into it. How's the last week been, you guys? How about you, Craig? You want to kick us off? Yeah, sure. Um, it's been a good week. The sun, the sun has finally arrived in France, so summer's here. Oh, nice. Um, and they've started sort of loosening the, the rules a bit here. Um, I mean, us as a family, we're not really changing anything anyway, but um, it's nice that, you know, we're starting to get mail coming through and and various shops are open, DIY stores, all that kind of stuff are starting to open up now. Um, so it's a bit of normality, and I think especially with the sun coming, everything just seems to be nicer and brighter and just, yeah, more positive. So it's it's been a good week. Uh, Knife-wise, um, I actually received a bunch of knives that I um, ordered to be uh, laser cut a long, long time ago, and they've arrived, um, and they're chef knives. So I'll be I've got some I've got some work to do finally. So mm. I'll have some knives available um, nice. within the next few weeks. That's amazing. Yeah, so I'm I'm really happy about that, and it's one of those things where I'm going to have chef knives available. So you know, normally my customer is a, is a restaurant, so these are going to be individuals. But obviously, very much aware that everybody sort of everybody around the world is in this in this weird situation at the moment. So, I've been you know been trying to think how am I going to sort of sell these. So I think everyone is going to be completely individual um, and have a bit of a, a bit of a story to it. So yeah, so I think I'm going to be a bit more active on uh, the likes of Instagram and so on, um, telling the story of these knives because I've got some really cool sort of handle materials that are, that. Are, yeah, that they're quite interesting. So I think it's I think it's going to be quite nice. So mm, nice. yeah, I'm looking forward to this week coming working on knives. Um, aside from that, I've just been doing a lot of work around the house. Um, the local uh, DIY companies are open. Uh, DIY shops are open, and they're delivering. So we've had a few bits delivered, so I can get on with some stuff. So it's been a really positive week. Um, we're starting to see a sort of light at the end of the tunnel. Um, and yeah, it's 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 all good. All good. Can I ask you a question in regards to the lightening of restrictions? What yes, are some yeah. of the guidelines that these these what are the, some of the guidelines that France has given to these companies to reopen? Anything different? 
Um, well, I mean, it's not all company, all companies. I yeah. mean, obviously, bars, restaurants, all that. They're all still completely closed, and they've they've been told they'll be closed probably, you know, for the summer as well. Oh. Um, but uh, with regards to other stuff, it's you know all the shops they've got you know tape on the floor, making sure people keep their distance. Um, everybody in France has been given a a mask, um, which the government has provided. So when you go out, you see everybody wearing a mask, which which is good anyway. Um, um, but weirdly, you see people driving with these masks on, which I, I'll never understand. <laughs> but uh, yeah, everybody's wearing a mask, which which is really good. Um, they, you know, all the the businesses that are are open. They're almost like the supermarkets. You know, they they've got the the big plastic things around where you go to pay, right? Um, and you know, encouraging everybody to keep their distance. And uh, I've got to say, everybody who you know, every time I've I've stepped out of the house, everybody's been very respectful of people's space and so on. Um, so yeah, I mean we'll see. Obviously, you know, in a couple of weeks' time, that there, there, there probably will be another sort of wave, but hopefully it'll be quite minimal. Um, yeah, I mean with regards to our personal restrictions now, whereas before we, if we were going out, we were allowed out um, up to an hour a day and no longer than a, no further than a kilometre from the house, um, and it had to be for exercise on your own. Hmm. Um, they've changed that now, so we can actually get out and about. So they're actually seeing a hundred kilometres now, which is which is crazy. So. Right. Um, hmm. We actually went out yesterday in the car as a fact. The first time since, I mean, we come back to France two and a half months ago, just as lockdown started. We wanted to be back home, obviously. Um, and we went out yesterday in the car as a family just to get out together because we, we haven't left the house together at all. Yeah. So we, we didn't go anywhere specific, just literally a drive in the car. And um, it was great just to be out and the sun was shining and the kids were just like, they've forgotten what the car was, you know, because they haven't been out the front door <laughs> at all in two and a half months. Sure. Um, all going well until Daisy, uh, the youngest, uh, was was terribly car sick everywhere. Um, oh, so it was like, sweet. Oh, sweet. We cut that short and come back home. But, um, it, yeah, it was just nice to be out, and it felt a bit of norm. Even though we weren't going anywhere, it, it was a bit of normality, you know, just being out and about. So, yeah, things things are looking bright. Um, it's all good. It's all good. That's very good. Mm. Nice. It's hard, you, to, it's hard, man. I t- uh, what about me? I mean, I've been getting back in the shop and uh, working on knives, but it's been like... I actually had a good meeting with uh, this. I'm doing a, I'm doing a knife with a, a signature series knife with uh, this chef um, friend of mine. His name is Trevor Trevor Conk, and we're gonna we've we've had a meeting about repositioning the some of the money in, to go to uh, fund to help employees from his uh, the business that he's in uh, restaurant yeah. business. So so sure. we're just trying to we're just trying to figure out you know drops in the bucket, and that's really what it feels like. And I'll be honest yeah. with you, I feel. I feel nothing but frustration. Uh, I feel nothing but sadness, and uh, it fucking sucks. I tell you, I <laughs> I got friends of mine who are in the restaurant business, and they are, some of them are, you know, some of them just closed down. They're like, all right, we're going to close and ride down, and then we'll open back up when things are going. And I have some are just like, we're going to stay open, do takeout, and we're just going to scratch and claw our way to keep people you know, to peep, you know, just to kind of keep going and you're not making any money. You're just like treading water to keep the lights on. And it's just frustrating because there's no guidelines in regards to, well, when are they going to open up or when are they going to, re- you know, allow us to have outdoor dining or there, there's no, there's no guidelines at all. And, it, and it's very frustrating for a lot of people. And, and a lot of these friends of mine, like the Peekskill Coffee House, are figuring out ways in which to be creative and to kind of you know, when I talk to these people, none of them are saying, you know, I got to pay my bills. All of them are talking about, I don't want to lay off my staff. Yeah. 
And it's just like, it's just very frustrating because, you know, I don't, you know, I see all sides of the situation and I, and I, and I, and I hear a lot of stuff, but it, there's definitely, you know, yesterday was a beautiful day. I went to go, uh, pick up some supplies, uh, and, you know, see friends of mine, you know, bought some dinner from one guy I bought some beer from another guy, I bought some booze from another guy. And it's like, you hear the same thing. We just, you know, we don't know, we don't know what the hell is going to happen. And it just mm-hmm. sucks. It sucks. And there's a lot of people outside because it was a beautiful day. And um, some of them were wearing masks and some of them weren't wearing masks. And fine, I'm with you 100%. I mean, you do what you got to do what you got to do. And uh, it's just a strange feeling. Like we were walking the dogs yesterday and we saw a house party. And, you know, it was it was a regular party. They had pink balloons and white balloons. It could have been a baptism, celebrating something, whatever. It was as in any other time, it would have been this, you know, very innocent celebration and now you're looking like oh my god look at those people and oh and they're staring at us across the street saying well what are you going to do about it and we're just like i mean didn't say anything but it was just clearly you know we're like i'm not you know i'm no rat i'm gonna do what you got to do what you got to do but it's it's people are getting frustrated and sick of this all and and i am too so yeah i i think there's going to be you know we're we're seeing divisions already of, of people who are wanting to be back to normal as quick right. as possible, and those who you know are playing it cautious, and and like you just said, do what you got to do. I think everybody's in a different situation. There are people who need to be working and they need to be bringing money in because they they're desperate for the money, and you know, and I, I think yeah, it's easy to judge people, but it, it's yeah, I think everybody's got their own sort of little battle going on, and. I just hope people are not sort of attacking others, whether you know whether they're being cautious or whether they're throwing caution to the wind. You know, everybody's got their own reason for doing what they're doing. So yeah, it's well, they don't. They're I, not. No, they are attack. I mean, I haven't seen any physical altercations, but people are people are mad and and they're yeah, mad at each yeah. other, and it's dumb. It's yeah, not dumb. It's actually it's not dumb. You got to you know we're we're gonna get to the point now. And I'm convinced that this concept of essential worker and non essential worker. You know, it's it's going to be it's going to turn into this political correctness thing, which it is. A non-essential worker is politically correct for frivolous, <laughs> and 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 it's and and all of a sudden, you know, you're going to be dealing with people who, okay, maybe my job is not is not fr- is frivolous, but my bills aren't frivolous. So if I'm a non-essential worker, then I shouldn't have to pay. I should have, my bills should be non-essential too. Yeah. So, you know, yeah. friends, I got a friend of mine who's a tattoo artist. He's a great guy. And he's one of the most talented tattoo guard artists in the world. He travels all over the world, uh, and he does the tattoos for movies. Like uh, all these movies with Keanu Reeves got a tattoo, they do him. They or, or when the Avengers got all got their tattoos done, they all got like some like little Avengers symbol. My friends mm-hmm. did that, or Rihanna. All these famous people. They, he's he's world renowned. I saw him a couple of days ago, and I said, "How you doing?" And he goes, "I'm out of savings." This is the first thing he said. This is a proud guy really worked hard. He's got a stable of tattooists who come into a shop. He's booked through the year and now he's, you know, unable to make any money. And it's frustrating. And he should be, you know, it's like, you know, same thing. It's like you hear these things and I won't I won't go on and on and on and and but it's like you see you see these people talk, "Well, you just want to get a haircut." Well, I have a friend who's a barber. How's she supposed to pay her bills? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <sighs> It's a tricky one. It's a tricky one, and like I said, everybody's got their own their own uh, reasons for doing things, and yeah, people just need to. And you compound not jump that, on people. I think you compound that with the people who maybe they'll listen to a dopey podcast 
or they'll watch a stupid YouTube video, and then all of a sudden they're a basement baccalaureate telling you how it is. <laughs> yeah. You yeah. know, that all of a sudden they're everybody's seen one, you know, follow one guy on Twitter, and now they they're epidemiologists and constitutional lawyers. Those Joe Rogan fans, eh? Well, <laughs> fine. Look, you know what? I like Joe Rogan a lot. I, I've been I was on the Joe Rogan train from number from from the beginning, and I and I. But at the same time, it's just like sometimes people need to you know understand just because they hear something or see a fucking meme with kermit the frog drinking tea doesn't give them a degree you know and and i it's annoying and the only person that you know i see them let's talk about knives fucking cares (laughs) so knife wise what have you been up to this week (laughs) i'm fucking i uh we're uh my god bless my business partner tony he's been um re re you know not reevaluating but like pushing 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 for me to get stuff for our website and and he's been updating stuff on the website and he's been doing an incredible job and just making things easier for people to buy knives and it's been working and we're you know trying to do these little experiments with you know instagram live instagram you know, stories and the swipe up feature and and it's been you know we've been getting good results so i'm getting some work done um and um you know look you're doing whatever you can do right right mm-hmm. Are you seeing um, less people contacting you regarding knives? No. You're not? No, I'm actually getting, uh, we're getting, uh, we're getting a lot of new hits going to our website. I'm not the, this is why I have a business partner. (laughs) He told me that we had 8,000 new hits to our website in the past 30 days. Mm. So, but that, you know, it's, this is the, people are buying shit and they're you know they're being you know they're sitting at home buying shit but when's the honeymoon over yeah. you know all of a sudden you got to pay for your fucking hbo bill and all of a sudden what are you gonna you know mm-hmm. you gotta you know unessential non-essential. what about you morocco are you seeing um a, like a, a downturn in inquiries uh no actually i've been seeing more inquiries um I've been having, yeah, more people either shooting emails or sending DMs um, oh. a lot, even though I, ha- I haven't been very active on Instagram lately. Um, I- I've had a ton of new followers, um, like, well, I think well over a thousand in just like the last couple months. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's interesting what's going on. I, th- I think more than anything, people are just spending more time on their phones um, and and tootling around and finding stuff and discovering stuff they may not have otherwise been able to come across or would have taken longer mm-hmm. to come across if they uh, if they weren't sitting at home playing on yeah. the phone. You know? Content's king. People need some content. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So uh, what about you sort of work-wise, Morocco? Busy week? Mm. Uh, yeah, so i just been uh, – uh, this last week was just a lot of – Playing with uh, playing with my dude and keeping him busy. Uh, I think I mentioned before he's kind of been phasing out naps, which hasn't been the most fun thing ever. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, something I came up with: we have all these great hiking trails around us, and I was like, "Oh, I'll take." And he just started getting into Winnie the Pooh. I was like, "Oh, we'll we'll try to see if we can spot some of the characters uh, out in the Hundred Acre Wood." That's and a good so, idea. Yeah, so I've been taking him on these walks and we're checking out the trees and we're looking at all the crazy bugs and insects and stuff we come across and and uh but uh, i just went was it not yesterday the day before though i burned his ass out so hard he uh 
we we went for two and a half miles um and like the last hundred yards he just could not do he's like daddy will you carry long, me? with little legs that's a long <laughs> yeah way. exactly, long exactly. Way, yeah. well and it was like through ravine like down through ravine and it's all like uh you know well maintained trails and stair like mm. stairs going down through the ravines and these little like boardwalks and bridges and stuff Perfect. across creeks but and he loved it it was cool but i think I, I i went too far the other day but before that uh we did a different walk through a different forest or part of the part of the kind of wooded area and it was only one and a half miles and that was that was like perfect uh it wore him out for nap and then he was still exhausted by the time it was bedtime. So I think I need to dial it back to about one and a half miles, one mile of, uh, you know, hiking through there. <laughs> this is organic. Tired is the best tired. Oh, yeah. Yes. You know, yeah. when you were, when you're hiking around, did you find any ramps? Ramps. Do you know about ramps? No. Ramps are ramps. This is ramp like season. The root vegetable. Yeah. Ramps are big up here and it's a fucking annoying. Mm. So, some of you listening to this podcast are like immediately shutting, sh- you know, what, what ramps are <laughs> like a combination of a garlic and a spring onion. And they mm. only grow at a certain mm-hmm. point in the woods. And, and some of you motherfuckers are so arrogant and so, so proud of yourselves for your big bushel of ramps and you're making pickled ramps and make ramps out. Fuck you and your ramps. I look for ramps. Couldn't find a goddamn ramp, and I've given up. And it's all so the season's just, over. Are these just the green leaves? No, the bulb too. It looks like a it looks like a spring onion or scallion, but it tastes like no. But you don't understand. It's like a mix between an onion and garlic. All right, fine. So bring me some, you fuck. I see you're jealous. <laughs> I'm super yeah, jealous. I'm jealous. I, my, I went from excited. We might chuck my kid. Like, Let's go see if we can find some ramps. Where are these fucking ramps? To fuck you and your ramps. I don't even want to see any of your goddamn ramps anymore. So. Oh, nice. I don't even know what they look like. So I'll have to look that up. Yeah. Well, here's the funny thing is I, we are my kid and I, you know, we're talking about, you know, what you did is similar to what I did. I got a 15 year old. I was, we were trying to do some sort of like biology class and try to identify what ramps look like. You, it, ramps also look like Lily of the Valley. And if you eat lily of the valley, you're going to be toes up. So like most of these foraging plants, you got to be real careful. And so like the whole, I got, we got other friends up here in the Northeast that love to look look for mushrooms and shit. My wife's just like, don't you fucking bring any mushrooms home. I don't trust you. Mm. I don't trust you in your identification. I'm like, all right, you got it. (laughs) Yeah. So kill myself with mushrooms. Yeah. Yeah, I'd love to. Here in front. Oh, sorry. Sorry, I was, I was just going to say, here in France, mushroom um, picking is big, especially around here, because mm. we're, we're surrounded by wooded land. And you can take the mushrooms to any pharmacy, and the, the French love a pharmacy. There's multiple pharmacies in every tiny village. And and it, they've all been trained, all the pharmacists, so they'll they'll assist you with what you can eat and what you can't. So really? Quite often, yes, yeah, so quite awesome. often you go into the pharmacy, and there's people there with with just baskets of mushrooms, and they'd all be in sort of... And the, and the French guy's got the little monocle on, like a, one of the jeweler's monocles, like, no, this is no good. You get oh, yourself. <laughs> this one's going to give you massive diarrhea. <laughs> That's amazing. Wow. Yeah, so sort of autumn time and, and, and early spring as well. Yeah, there's a lot of mushrooms out and about. Yeah, That's probably a very smart idea because some of those friends are going to eat the wrong mushroom. Yeah. Right. That's funny. Yeah. Well, yeah. What, what about knife-wise then, Morocco? Um Anything going on? Well, nothing much uh, outside of the videos. We actually just got up our fifth video of the Forging a Place series. Uh, and I think we got one more to get out in the next couple of days. 
um, which is awesome to get this series done because I really want to move on. Uh, I think I, I might have mentioned this before, but after I started doing, took all the video for the first one, I'm like, this is fun and this is informative, but this is very basic stuff. And I realized that a lot of people uh, might be looking to me for more uh, kind of advanced skills or knowledge and techniques. Mm. And so the next video is going to go straight to S grinding. Um, so I want to get that uh, up and going. I think I, I already got all the video taken for that one now. Uh, so it's just a matter of getting it pieced together and, and, um, and, and out and posted. And then after that, cool. um, yeah, other than that, I'm probably in the next week or so, probably going to get moved back into uh, my shop. We've started opening up and loosening things a little bit. Uh, our governor, Jay Inslee, has uh, started kind of, they have like a whole phase program of like, it's like, I don't know, like five, four or five phases of like how things will uh uh, open up and start how some of the restrictions and rules will start loosening as um, you know the cases go down or 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 completely stop and um, and right now we're in phase one uh, you know some some non-essential places are allowed to come or to open back up but with just like very limited number of people coming in you know it's the, yeah. they can't just be uh, packed to the gills, right? And they, they can have like three people in when they normally have like 12 people in or something like that. Mm-hmm. Or if it's like a barbershop or something like that. Um, so slowly opening up here. Um, I actually only just went to the store the other day for the first time where I had to put on uh, like a, a mask and it was fucking weird. Was, I've been fortunate that I haven't had to get out there and, and do too much in the public. And, uh, it was super bizarre, but I think you guys have are are becoming accustomed to it. You've probably done it quite a few times, actually, uh, since all of this has been happening. Sucks. But that was it a sucks new. And I yeah, hate it. it was so. It was so fucking weird. It sucks. It sucks. Yeah. It totally sucks. And I know because I've had COVID nineteen, and we think that mm-hmm. we've recovered. I'm wearing it because it, for some reason, if I'm still contagious, I don't want to be the guy who gets anyone to. You know, so we're staying the fuck away from everybody, but mm-hmm. it sucks. It's uh, it sucks, and <sighs> I saw so this. Fu- how are you? Go ahead. How are you feeling? By the I way, feel great. you feel back to I feel normal. Fine. Feel my my good, taste yeah. is kind of slowly getting back together. Uh, I still have. We still all have a little bit of fatigue at the end of the night, but it, may, it might be just because we're wearing masks all the time. Yeah. You know, so and you're doing less, so you generally get tired when you're doing less. I suppose. I I, I have no. My wife gave plasma yesterday. And I'm doing the paperwork so I can apply to give plasma uh, mm-hmm. soon. But I mean, we all feel we're all back to normal for the most part. And it's like, you know, that's it. I feel good. Everyone's been reaching out. Uh, yeah, for some reason, people seem to think that I'm like Dr. Coronavirus, but which I, which I immediately, you know, people send me, oh, I have this action plan. I need you to read it over. I'm like, no, 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 don't send it to me. I don't know. I mean, I, I know. I mean, I'm the worst person to give advice about this. Mm. You know, so I don't know. I it sucks. Fucking sucks. We gotta figure something out. I'm glad to hear Mareko that you guys have like a plan that you actually know about. Yeah. I mean, over here it's just like, what are they doing in Connecticut? Well, let's try doing what they're doing. Right. Frustrating. Frustrating. Okay, let's find out what's been going on around the world. Well, there isn't a whole lot in the news, 
But uh, <laughs> as a reminder, Blade Show has moved its dates to August 7th and 9th. Uh, if you need more information, go to bladeshow.com. Um, you can find your information, contact them with any questions you have. Jeff, do you still have your coffee up for sale? I do, but real quick, I just want to make an announcement. Not an announcement, I just want to say one thing. We get a lot of messages asking us, what do we think about Blade Show? Is it going to happen? I get a lot of yeah. them, and I don't. And I choose not to put them in because like, we don't know. We have no connection. We The only connection we have is the connection that the three of us have we don't have we're not we're not part of a guild we're not part of anything no. we don't know so if they say they're going to do it then let's let's just cross our fingers that they do it so yeah. i just wanted to say that because there's a lot of people writing what do you think is going to happen what's your opinion i don't have an opinion i hope that i hope they figure out a way to open up i'm looking forward to seeing people's pictures down there in a safe manner and they have a good time mm. that's it nothing else to say the, the only thing i could add to that um, you know, I, I have a lot of people asking about that too. And it, I mean, it looks like they're still on, so hopefully yeah. it still is, but you know, potentially, uh, it could, it could, could get moved. Well, or let's canceled. just not, let's, let's, let's keep things positive and then, then they, that's their decision to make. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's definitely their so, decision. So yeah. All I, right. I don't have and an then, opinion. All right. <laughs> then c- coffee. Let's hear. About all right. Listen, guys, we had a very, very, I got a great note from uh, the people at the Peaks Coffee Coffeehouse. I have, I'm still, still selling Fader Knives EDC at PeaksCoffee.com. As of a couple days ago, we had sold 209 bags, and our goal is 250 bags for this particular uh, uh, Feed the Front Lines, which has been great. So 70% of the sales, sales has gone to feed the front lines, which pays local businesses, to, uh, local restaurants to feed the front lines. So I, I can't thank you guys enough. I, um, everyone has been buying. It's been awesome. And P.S., uh, go check out uh, Chris Zeperary. That's Make Everything Shop. Uh, did an awesome video. Yes, He did a YouTube video. His, his YouTube video, he made a pour over so he could make the coffee. And he made this cone out of stainless steel with lots of holes in it. And he just used all the different equipment and how he just step by step, how he made this uh, pour over. It was such an awesome video. I can't thank Chris enough. He's just such a, he's such a good guy and he's become a friend of mine. And and I'm just like, he's such a wealth of information. And But that was super cool. So you can go to peakskillcoffee.com and get yourself some Fader Knives EDC. Once this 250 are sold, we're going to put it into another thing. They're going to keep going. We're going to just keep going. We might do something uh, more local. We have a, There's a guy around here who's doing something very similar to what we were doing, and we're just going to keep the ball rolling. And once again, I don't want a penny of it. I buy my own coffee, actually. The funny thing is, is I bought two bags. And only one bag showed up, and I was just like, I let it, I let it go for a little bit. And I was just like, and I sent him a message. I'm like, Hey man, just question. I just, I uh, bought two bags and only one showed up, and they were like, What? And I said, Yeah. And then they wrote me back. He's like, You know, we've sold 209 bags, and you get the fuck up. I'm like, Fine. So they actually got me the new coffee, and it tastes great. It tastes great, Craig. I, I will, I will, I will make sure that you get a bag of coffee in, in Europe so cool that'd be good it's yeah. really good and yeah. it's a lot of fun and it's been really well received and i am very appreciative so go to keep you know back to chris sepp yeah. who you mentioned made the uh the pour over sort of the stand and the dripper and everything else looking at his videos he's got an amazing way so people who don't know it's it's uh chris sepp zepperary zepperary that's the one um it's make everything or zeppy area everyone calls him chris sepp 
Yeah, yeah. It's Make Everything Shop on YouTube. And he's just got this amazing talent of explaining what he's doing. So he, he mainly voiceovers the videos. So you, you, he's doing stuff and, and he'll just voice over them later. But he's got this really good talent of explaining exactly how and why he's doing what he's doing. He, he, he's a real talent. He, he's amazing. Amazing. He, nice. Great guy. Oh, he's just, and he's and he's funny, and he's just an, he actually did a ton for uh, similar to what you were doing. Is he used his three D printers to make uh, masks for uh, yes, frontline workers? Yeah. He did a great job. He's just a great guy, New York guy, yeah. great New York guy. I'd like to hear him do a podcast. I think he'd be great. Mm-hmm. Oh, maybe, maybe. <laughs> uh, the other news we've got is is obviously Morocco's video, which he just talked about. So the fifth video is up in in the in the in the series. Um, and you say there's there's one video left in the series, is yeah, it Morocco? It's going to be one last one that covers the sharpening and kind of just wraps the whole thing up. Cool, cool. I'm looking forward to those Esquire ones because it's something I don't. do. Well, so you must have cool. learned something from this in regards to what you want to do in the future, and I think that's great. Mm. Yeah. Wait, me or you? Not Craig. He, Craig does his own video. He knows what he's doing. I'm saying you. I'm like you. This is your your you're you're encapsulating it. You're finishing it off. You must have had some takeaways for the next videos. Yeah, I think. I mean, the biggest thing I learned um, was how to set up. You know, the, I think one of the biggest, most time consuming thing is just figuring out how to set uh, kind of like the tripod up with the camera and everything, and to get the right angles. And I've done it a, enough times now, especially around the grinder and around the anvil, that uh, it, it's it's really it it, it it won't take as long next time around, mm-hmm. and um, and hopefully I can actually add a few different angle angles because you know what makes a video I think more get more engaging is offering a, a few different angles of the same thing being done just so you can see it from all different angles uh, and really kind of cuz the the I the point of these me putting these together is for them to be helpful and uh, as informational as possible but if you're only seeing it from one position it's hard to really kind of it's not, it's not the same as uh, uh, as being there in person so you know trying to recreate that as best as possible by creating different angles um, mm-hmm. is the best thing I could think to do. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. Content creator. There we go. Let's there see. we go. Jeff, I understand you've received a, a strange email this week I have, as well. I have received a strange email. Do you have a jingle for a strange email jingle? I don't. Oh. I don't. But, you know, people want to email us. <laughs> Contact us via DM <laughs> at Knife Talk on Instagram. It's that easy. Well, he's right. Somebody contacted me, but not on Knife Talk DM. They've contacted me through Fader Knives, and I got uh, an email request, and I want you guys to hear it. And I'm not sure that I'm the first person who got this email, but I'm going to read it anyway. Hello. I'm wanting to get a rather unique and unusual knife made and looking for advice and quotes. It's a fixed blade utility knife with reclaimed elements. Sounds so far, sounds normal, right? The primary functions are prying, cutting, and hammering. Yes, I have crowbars and hammers, but I want I want a hip carry knife that can safely perform light versions of various job site tasks, such as separating two lightly bonded objects, hitting a loose nail, encouraging lumber into place, and cutting straps and cords spontaneously without having to travel to a toolbox or truck. I have a pretty specific design in mind, and this is what it is. And then he ta- he showed me, he sent me a picture of this Fakakta knife that <laughs> was, I'm only going to make anyway. But then he says, I'm going to just skip down to, 
I would like the design to be very similar to this, but with a blunt pommel for striking. And it should have these following features. All right, you ready? <laughs> a nice size serrated section for shallow concave uh, and shallow concave for cutting straps or cords. I want a strong tip for digging and prying more than piercing and cutting. I want a wide, flat, blunt, blunt pommel for hitting a loose nail, encouraging lumber into place or other small blows, striking functions. I would like this to have, I would like this part to be an actual reclaimed old hammerhead, cleverly incorporated if possible. So I have to cleverly incorporate a hammerhead onto the bottom of the knife. Ergonomic grip that fits well in both forward and backwards grip. A prominent front and rear quillen to prevent slipping. The blade needs to be four to six inches long. All right. A quarter inch thick CPM 3V steel. It doesn't need to be pretty, but this steel will accomplish the toughness I want from the knife. And I want reclaimed bicycle tire scales for the handle. Let's <laughs> just slip that in at the yeah. end. Yeah. I want a, and, then, and then I want a simple sheath with a belt loop that holds it securely. Please let me know what you think of this concept and if this is something you'd be willing to tackle. Thank you for your time. Jesus, there's not much room for your own artistry hey. there. He knows exactly what he wants. Hey, man, hey, man. You show up to a job. This is, this, is this is clearly the guy who does not work on a job site. Because I've been on, jo- I've been on union and non-union job sites. You show up with a fucking crazy knife, and you start wha- you know, spontaneously cutting ropes and then and trying to encourage wood with your fucking knife. They're going to they're gonna take your clothes off and throw you in the job box and lock you in for the day. Is that unbelievable? Oh, yeah, he yeah. wants me. To, how do you how do you incor- incorporate a reclaimed <laughs> fucking hammer handle? So it sounds like crazy. he wants a, a a modified roofing hammer. You know what? I thought I I Tony sent this to me, and he's just like I'm I'm only because Tony gets all these things, <laughs> and he generally he usually like pre- he prevents me from seeing them because he knows that it's going to end up being him he and I on this like you know five minute conversation just laughing and joking, which I like to do anyway. But I said, you know, just send the guy a hatchet. You know, that's what he wants. Mm-hmm. Well, you don't need a fucking... <laughs> I wish... I can't put the picture of the knife that, that he put on, but it was... I was like, I'm not... Tell this guy to fuck... It. He's like, all right, I don't really worry. I'm not even going to answer the question. <laughs> but it was hilarious. And I think I think this guy also goes on Reddit and asks the same question. I, th- I, I think he's fooling around, to be honest with you. Because just, it's just there's too much work involved for his description of what he wants. But it was, I had to read it because it was like, you know, oh yeah, by the way, I need you to make a handle out of reclaimed bicycle seats or bicycle tires. Tires. Jesus there you Christ. Go. A man who knows what he wants. Yeah. Can you imagine? Jeez. Oh, I don't want, you can't do, oh, you can't make, you can't make uh, scales out of bicycle tires. Oh, I don't want the job. I don't want it then. <laughs> fucking guy. <laughs> go show up, go show up to the fucking, go show up with a fucking Bowie knife to a job site. You know, and, and try to encourage some lumber and see how that goes. And then I give him the bill, and what are you going to pay? Are you going to pay him twelve hundred bucks for a fucking knife that he's going to hit nails with? That ought to go over well. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and then, like, can you imagine that hammer handle on the bottom? Oh my god! All right, so I just wanted to read that off. There you go. Out your system. That's out of my system now. Okay, let's answer some of your questions. Hey, man, can I ask you a question? All right, you little bastards, you've. Send us their questions via DM to Knife Talk Podcast, as our friend has uh, told you, and we're going to try to answer them. 
All right. So the first one comes from Holger Wispel. Hey, man, any good tips on cutting burls? Like like cutting them green or seasoning them first? Lots of love. Mm. Mm. And I actually, well, you guys can answer. And then I, I got a pro to give me a really good answer. I'm not oh, saying nice. that you don't, we're not going to give them really good answers. <laughs> that was not sounded bad. Uh, you guys say whatever the bullshit you want. And I got a guy to answer the real question. <laughs> that was, I'm sorry. I apologize. I, I, you know, I, I love using burls, but I've never cut them myself. I've always bought prepared scales. Uh, sometimes I may use <clears> to stabilize them, but I've never actually cut them. But I do have a bunch sort of drying out now. So I'm interested in what, what the professional is going to say. <laughs> <to> this one. <laughs> you know, it's funny that you say that because I, I'm doing with this project I'm doing with Trevor. Um, we got, uh, Tony got uh, these North Fork uh, cherry burls from he's out in the North Fork of Long Island. He had these, you know. He just told a couple, you know, tree guys, if you find burls, give them to me. I'll, we'll 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 pay for them. And now we're instead of them being in the chipper, we've got these. He he brought up these burls, so I got a pile of burls, and mm-hmm. I started processing in them, and I learned a lot from what the professional says, but also what mistakes I went through too. Mm. From what I can gather, obviously the burls are very hard. So the bits that aren't burled, they can sort of curl up as they're drying. Um, so yeah, I'd like I'd like to know what what people have to say. Have you, have you done any yourself, Morocco? Any any cutting and seasoning yourself? Uh, from what I understand, it's you want to try to go uh, as slow as possible so that to help. Well, not as slow as possible because then you could sit around forever. But um, slow enough that you're not causing the material to dry out too quickly uh, which would cause a lot of severe splintering or cracking in the material so from what I've been told you know you take it off a tree then you want to let it season uh, like outside (laughs) broken just being exposed to the air outside but like in a covered area so maybe in a shed or in a pole barn or a garage or whatever um, and let it kind of dry off some you might even depending on the wood you might want to throw a little bit of uh, paint on the cut or or some wax to help kind of seal it so it doesn't lose the moisture too quickly and then mm. eventually bring it into a drier area and let it continue to slowly cool uh, dry out but this is from what i understand this is can be a pretty long process like possibly even up to two or three years mm. of let depending on the size of the burrow um uh, letting it dry out before ultimately breaking it down the handle scales and then letting it dry even further before either sending it out to be processed and, and stabilized or processing it yourself. Um, so that's what I got. I haven't really done it myself. I have a bunch of barrel that I've taken off of an old maple that was, uh, in my, in, uh, out on, on my in-laws property, uh, that had been around, like it was a hundred year old tree or something like that. And it had all kinds of beautiful spalting and stuff right now. It's still in big blocks underneath the pole barn. Uh, but eventually mm-hmm. it needs to be brought into the garage to start drying out further, um, before I can even do anything else with it. So you'd leave them in big chunks, um, to dry out. You wouldn't cut them down to sort of scale size and dry at scale size. You'd leave them to dry as a, definitely as a big... not right away, especially if right. it's super green. Uh, if you go from the tree to handle scales with just within the first day, uh, those handle scales are going to be twisted and warped all over the place. I, yeah. I can guarantee you. I did, when I was working with these North Fork burls, I did get an electric chainsaw and I cut them into kind of, I got rid of a lot of the uh, bark and I got rid of, a, and I cut them into bigger pieces. And I'm slow, and they're slowly... Um, 
drying out, but I actually have taken a burl and then put it right in the uh, oven and, and let it mm. dehydrate for the most part for, uh, I've done it a couple times and I've had good experience. I leave them big. Oh, nice. So they don't burn. So they don't like they, cause they're going to twist a little bit. They're going to twist a little bit as the mm. water goes out. But I, I reached out to, uh, my friend, Jonathan Porter, who does this a lot. He does a lot of his own, uh, uh, stabilizing of woods and he's a smart guy and that guy eh? that guy well he was on the podcast a while ago and he said this <laughs> he he showed us how he stabilizes but he this is i asked him and, and um this is what he said the and it's not not too far off i mean it's you know i don't i'm not going to add anything to what mareko said because he had pretty much hit everything i was going to say but this is what he does best thing you can do is to let it acclimate in your in your area's humidity for a month or more. Sometimes I let them sit for three to six months if they're really thick and green. When you decide to cut it up, do it in blocks, not scales. I leave mine at least an inch and a half square, but thicker is better. If you can spare the time, basically the slower you reduce the size, the, uh, the slower you reduce the size, the straighter the, the finished cuts will stay. At Doghouse Forge, the green blocks are kept loose and unstacked in a wood crate that lets air move around the blocks but keeps the moisture loss slower than sitting alone. I shake the crate from time to time and open up so there's new air movement. Uh, I use a moisture meter uh, if available, and once they're lower than 20%, you can dry them in an oven for a few hours before stabilizing. Once it's stabilized, the cut style won't matter. For burls or wet cuts that are not stabilized, keep the ed- the scales on edge to finish drying. Don't lay them flat like dominoes on their sides. This lets air pass over both sides of the cut. Even uh, It cuts evenly and you won't banana. If you get a scale or board that goes taco, you can just lay the bow side facing down and wait overnight. It will move back and forth. You just keep flick, flipping it to the bow side and eventually it'll stop in the center. Our blocks take a year from uh, the burl to stabilized scales. So, you know, he just, that's his way of doing it. And he does a great job and he does a ton, ton of, he gets a ton of wood that he stabilizes and he's down in Florida. So it's very humid. Hey, he's got a yeah. massive yeah. collection. Oh, he's, he's got, he's got pots going all the time. He does all his yeah. own stabilizing. He's got a whole system and um, you know, He's a he's a very good resource, very good resource. And he actually, there was one episode. If you go back, there was an episode that he was on when he came up here, and he ended up in the in the chuck with me. He talks about stabilizing and how he stabilizes, and it was really, really, really great. Nice, nice. Okay, next question is from Jeff Davidson. Hey guys, what's something that has helped you streamline your process and save wasted time in the shop? Hmm. I'll go first then while you two have a little think. Um, For me, it starts right at the design phase. So when I'm designing, I design everything on a screen and I make sure that I've got the the correct tools for, you know, the little notches and so on. So right down to, um, you know, the the small wheels that I have, I make sure any um, radiuses aren't, you know, smaller than them so you can get in there. Um, and then it's down to batches for me. So that, that has been a massive thing, you know, helping with the process because you're not changing tools over. You, you keep doing the same thing over and over again. Um, but it, it's that whole thing, you know, right from the design at the beginning. Um, everything needs to be considered, I think. You're not just drawing out a shape, trying to cut it out and, you know, see where you go. 
Um, and I think even if you're getting it laser cut, which I do with a lot of my knives anyway, I still make sure that I've got the right tool in, you know, for finishing purposes and that kind of thing. So, yeah, that's helped massively with, with just speeding things up. Um, another one is a second drill press. That was that was massive. Mm. Um, such a simple thing and relatively cheap, um, but saves so much time, particularly when you're working on batches. Right. That's me. That's that's uh, that's what what's sped things up for me. I think for Freck or what you got. Yeah, for myself, I think the thing that's helped me, like when I did the small batch knives, I I actually I, I had to sit down because it's been such a long time since I did a batch of knives, and I did want to work as efficiently as possible. I kind of scripted out the different steps or phases that I'd be working through, and then broke those down farther, uh, just to have a. So started with a kind of a general overview of like start to finish process, but then broke every one of those like little sections down. Um, just trying to think through, um, yeah, just like the different, even just the simple tool, like changing from one tool arm to another tool arm um, and trying to, to think about that and keep that in mind. So I'm not playing a bunch of back and forth between knives. I'm just doing, I'll change it to whatever style a tool arm and then do all the different processes all at once and then transition to the next one. Uh, but I think also what's helped me on my custom stuff, uh, which I do one piece at a time. I just do one, one at a time and stay really focused on, um, what I, what has helped me in the past that I have kind of fallen away from doing is, uh, kind of at the end of my day of my work day, kind of taking note of where I'm at and what I think I need to do next and kind of creating a plan for the next day so that when I come in, I'm ready to rock and roll and I'm not really, uh, I'm not really having to sit and try to f- kind of refigure out where the hell I was at uh, because yeah. I'm finishing my day and making that list where I'm kind of in that work mode still and thinking, Oh, I got to do this next. And oh, I got to remember that I got, I got this, that, or the other thing going on over here or whatever, you know, just whatever you need to be thinking about while it's best to try to make those lists and, and write that stuff down while you're in that mode versus, you know, at the end of the day, just before you're going to bed, uh, possibly trying to throw a list together of stuff that you need to do and you're no longer in that mindset. Um, mm. Yeah. You know, a lot of it for me about being productive and, and you know, working faster and getting more more knives out there, I suppose, is, is sort of psychological, me just getting into the, into the drive because I could spend days and days in my shop tidying things and not mm. really being productive. So a lot of it is... Um, just taking that sort of temis, try and keep things as tidy as possible. Sure. Because when things aren't tidy, my mind can just drift, and I'll be I'll be off away with the fairies. So I think if I can just have yeah, if I can with the try and keep things up with the fairies means you're not you're not concentrating. Oh, yeah. oh. So I think it, <laughs> off with the fairies. I don't fairies. know what the fuck you're talking about. I'll be honest with you. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna be aware. But I of think the if I've got a if that if I've got a relatively tidy space. Um, I can focus a bit more, whereas, you know, my focus isn't being taken to, you know, I should really be tidying that up, and then I'll take half a day doing something that could take me five minutes. So a lot of it is psychological with me, yeah. I agree. I agree. I, I, I The one thing that I like is, I, I to be more streamlined, is I know how many hours I'm going to be in the shop during the day. I know what I need to get accomplished at the end of the day. And then it allows me to kind of backtrack. The other thing is I try not to be too, uh, I try to make this like a business. So I try to take some of the passion out of it and try to make it, you know, as efficient as possible by saying, okay, by the, by lunchtime, this needs to be done. And then by when I'm finished with the day, I got another few hours 
this is what needs to be done. And then at the end, like Mareko was saying, you can say, okay, now what's going to happen tomorrow? I make a game plan for the next day. And then I can, by the time I come back the next day, as soon as I walk through the door, I know exactly what I'm doing. I think that's yeah. critical. I think, I think that seeing these things and I actually, when we talk about our community uh, showcase, I got a guy who I want to talk about who does this idea of he's got a plan. He's got a plan. Mm-hmm. This we were doing now, then we're going to do this. And then we're going to do that. I think organizing your time is the best thing you can do. I I know some people can just go like they'll work and then they'll go through the night and they'll work through the night. I had my, my uh, college roommate used to drive me crazy. He would, he would start his day at 11 and then he would work till five o'clock in the morning. And I used to do that with him. And I was like, I fucking hate this shit. And I, and there was no like rhyme or reason to what we were doing. And there was no like, go, it couldn't see the goal at the end of the day. It was very hard sure. for me to kind of like understand that. So I think very, you know, understanding your timing is critical. Well, and I got to give you some credit, actually, Jeff. And I think I've said this before, but I, I was actually really inspired by the system that you have. You, When I came and visited your shop, you have a little area that's got like six or seven, maybe even more clipboards up. with, uh, And in each one has, like you have your order of operations printed on them, yeah. printed on them, and you kind of check them off as you go along. And then that also informs you on, you know, what emails need to be sent to the customer and letting them know where things are at. And giving those little updates like you like to do, which are really awesome. Uh, but I was really inspired by seeing that, that we actually, we kind of have de- finally developed uh, our, our own kind of like similar thing. Like at the top, we got the customer's information and the details about the knife. And then it breaks down into like the kind of the general order, orders of operation and the progress of building that knife. Um, it's all restaurant yeah. shit. It's yeah. a, it's a, it's a, a ticket. It's a ticket rail. I mean, that's how, I mean, my business partner was a chef. So I needed to make right. sure that he and I both understood what we were doing too. So I made it like a ticket rail. So there's no, we know exactly, you know, and I could go on and not know what's going on. And then I pull the ticket down and I know exactly what, what we're working on and where we're at. So it's, I can't, I can't just, th- I mean, I, I don't get the calls of like, uh, where's my knife? I mean, I know everybody's getting updated immediately and it's, it kind of makes, as long as we're on top of everything, um, then our customers have a little bit of uh, whatever. I appreciate it. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> Fuck those guys. I mean, sorry. sorry. I, I don't know what I'm thinking. I, gotta, I, gotta, I just got, I'm dealing with a text from Tony right now. So sorry. All right. All right. This next one is from Aubrey Hummer. It says, hey, guys, how do you keep epoxy out of your Corby bolts when gluing up? Sometimes when I'm gluing up, the epoxy makes a seal in the threads, and I can't tighten them all the way down. Thanks for keeping uh, our ears occupied during isolation. So it sounds like he's having a hydraulic issue uh, with, mm. I, with the epoxy. Personally, I, I, I put epoxy onto the on purpose. Um to to make sure they do seal um i'd say maybe he's using a you know a really super fast setting epoxy Mm. and it's becoming hard not allowing him to screw them all the way down but um yeah i'd say maybe go for some slower setting but i yeah i will dip my pins in uh, my uh my bolts rather into epoxy Um, as so before i do that you okay there yeah no i was uh, i thought chat with yourself i I thought you were off with the fucking fairies i was dipping your pin in epoxy (laughs) No, I do. I dip. I dip the. I dip them in the epoxy and then do them up. And, and you know, it, uh, my thought is that maybe it'll lock them in. Um, but yeah, I've never had any issues with them not doing all the way up. Um, and I think that'll probably be down to your epoxy drying before you get the chance to you know 
do that final tighten up. Yeah, I think that's once... a... go ahead. Oh, sorry. I was just going to say, I do the exact same thing. I throw, I make sure to get some epoxy on the threads uh, on the male mm-hmm. side uh, just to make sure that it's, I know it's getting in there. I want it in there to help really lock it down. Um, if it, if, if he's tightening his bolts down and they don't seem to be engaging as much, another thought is maybe he's not actually recessing the hole for the shoulder mm-hmm. of the Corby bolts far enough so that he's getting it as much engagement as he would like, I guess. Um, cause it sounds yeah. like he, he's just not getting, he, he's probably, I can imagine he's screwing them on and they're like barely engaging and, and it, he thinks it's the hydraulic pressure, but I actually, I think there's plenty of room actually, if you were to just put epoxy in a set of Corby bolts outside of a handle, you would watch it just squeeze all as much epoxy out as possible. Um, my, yeah. my thought is that it, he doesn't have enough engagement. That's a very good idea. I like to, I, I get, I, I always measure when I'm drilling out the countersink for the, the Corby's and that always is, I want to make sure I got an, I can't just lightly thread them. I want them to really go in, especially cause I yeah. really like to use the brass Corby's and those yeah. threads are notorious for if you over crank them, they just kind of shear. Uh, one thing that I do that I, I learned from when I was, uh, when I was a fabricator was using clamps. And then when you're putting the bolts in, don't, the bolts aren't the vice, the bolts aren't the clamp. You clamp mm. your shit up and then you tighten up your bolts to fit up after you're clamped. So the, cl- yeah. you know, so that way you're not going to, you know, there's the chances of you stripping out or ripping off a thread isn't even going to happen anymore. Cause all you need to do is, you know, th- when you're using bolts and stuff like that, they only need to be as tight as when they're past finger tight to be working, but you need to clamp it up first to get you where you need to be. So I always, um, I always do a lot of epoxy. I get plenty of, uh, and I use five minute epoxy and I, but I let them sit for a long time and I've never had a problem with, um, getting, I like the, I love like you guys. I want as much, epoxy inside making like epoxy rivets and stuff like that and trying to like make it as tight as possible but i i really count on the clamps before cranking down because i don't want to rip out the threads and then you got to dig that out with all the epoxy it's a drag Mm. or split wood either i've had that in the past when tightening up the bolts i've split wood where it's all been a bit too tight. Right. Mm. But yeah, if it's clamped down first, that will prevent that happening too. Yeah, bolts bolts aren't meant to be clamps. But bolts are meant to, mm. you know, to to pin you where you need to be, but you need to kind of, you know, get it where it get it where it needs to be before you put the bolts in. Right. Got gotcha. you. Take all the right. next one, Jeff. Sorry. Uh this comes from Stephen Permer. Permar. Hey man, can I ask you a question? My wife is starting a podcast. Any tip? Oh, uh, not another one. <laughs> Any tips for her? And then I asked, what kind of podcast is it? And she goes, uh, it's called the meaning, the meaning in motherhood. I haven't listened to it yet, so it could be where she goes and bitches about me. <laughs> so quite possibly. <laughs> now that there are all these podcasts opening up, do you have any suggestions? What do you guys think it, it makes a successful podcast? Any tips? Uh keep going because you're going to well, your first few episodes and you know it could be your first your first year or so that you're going to be talking to one man and a dog you know and it, if you get to see your analytics you'll think jesus nobody's listening um but it just takes time everything just takes time you need that dedication to do it regularly because if you're throwing out one a month yeah nobody's really thinking about you if you do, if you're doing one a week at a regular time i think 
you're going to start getting sort of ears listening uh, and you're going to get more traffic. Um, So, yeah, you just just keep at it. And if you're doing something that you enjoy, which, you know, your wife, I'm assuming she enjoys being a mother, that, you know, it should be easy for her to do. Um, The worst thing is if if it's something that you don't enjoy because, then you know, it's it's going to be like, oh, it's like work and, you know, having to do it every week. Nobody's forcing you to do it, but it feels like work. You know, why would you do it? So, yeah, keep doing something that you enjoy um, as regularly as possible. And um, another one's good audio. It's it's it doesn't have to be expensive to have good audio. Um, so yeah, get yourself good audio, um, a regular schedule, and just keep going. And try not to copy other people. I think that a lot of times, try to figure out some nuance because I think that one of the things that that separates you out is people are listening to you. So mm. I, I think it's really important to be a degree nuanced, and you know. I think that's real important. I, I completely agree. And the other thing is, is don't do the first one and think, okay, all of a sudden now, you know, I have a, I have a, I have a popular podcast. You just got to not think about those things and you just have to kind of yeah. keep going and improving and getting more comfortable and doing more and doing more and doing more. But I a hundred percent agree because there are a lot of knife podcasts out there. Some yeah, of you, you know some what? of you fucking guys are getting a lit, you're, you're getting a little bit close, getting a little bit close. <laughs> and I don't blame you because you're knife makers and you're all fucking thieves. So it's not a surprise. <laughs> knife makers, the worst. We're, I mean, no one, no one organically figured out what to do. So obviously yeah. your fucking podcasts are going to be stepping on our toes anyway. Fine. But just know, I know. You've been marked. You've been marked. <laughs> just know that you know. I know. Just know that I know. And if you, but you know, I go been, ahead. I've been doing this for two two and a half years now. That knife talk. Um, and I was only just the other day I was saying to my wife that now I feel comfortable doing it. Mm. Whereas before I was always worried about not so much worried, but I was trying to portray something. Um, and now I don't. Now I we just come on and we and we chat and you know it's, it's very sort of easy. Um. And that's that's a very recent thing. I'd say the last maybe two months, things have just sort of clicked a bit with me, and it's it's a lot more sort of free flowing. And I think our personalities come out a bit more than they used to, whereas maybe a bit stunted before. So it it just takes time to gel and for for, for things to work. Um, so yeah, keep at it. That's 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 the biggest thing. And have a little discipline. Like there needs to be this a degree. You can't just some of these people think you just turn on and talk and people want to listen. You know, mm-hmm. it's not. There is there is a degree of it's nice to hear some spontaneity, but there also is, you know, good broad, and that's one of the things that separate a lot of podcasts out. Some guys just think, oh, they just, oh, Joe Rogan just talks to people, and then that's all I'm going to do, and people are going to listen. Some of you motherfuckers, I've heard some of the shit you guys have been doing. Some of it is bad. <laughs> some of it is bad, real bad, real bad. And if you're asking, I'm going to DM Jeff and say, is he talking about me? Don't even bother. I am. <laughs> And I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Do your thing. I, I just want to sh- throw, throw a few shots over the bow. I'm anything you try to do to enjoy yourself, to to do something that is, you enjoy doing. I will never step on that, and I'm for you. But just know that I know, and then we're all good. Uh, <laughs> anything to any, anything to add to that, Morocco? No. <laughs> Uh, okay, let's move on. Uh, Brotherhood Knives. Um, hey, my little cuties. He's talking about interrupted quenches. Um, what does it do and what situations could it be used? Uh, he says many 
hugs and kisses from a sunny COVID-filled California. There you mm. go. Tasty. Mm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <Stacks> chicken's back. <laughs> that was a, Maybe Morocco can, can explain what an interrupted quench is. <laughs> yeah, so an interrupted quench, uh, the idea is so instead of... Uh, you know, you pull your knife out of the forge or out of the kiln at critical temperature, and then typically you would put it in your quenching medium, um, and you just hold it there, agitate it maybe a little bit, just by, you know, little in and out action. Um, but otherwise, uh, you, w- you would leave it in there probably at least for a solid 10 to 20 seconds um, uh, to let it fully quench, you know, cool down to probably to ideally where martensite starts f- forming, which is around, you know, 250, uh, 300 degrees, something like that. Um, but an interrupted quench is where you would, you put it into your quenching medium, you pull it out of the kiln, whatever you quench. And, but then you pull it out after only a couple seconds. Um, and then you put it back in. And then, so some people do a double, like, double interrupted quench so they'll pull it out a couple times some people only do it once um but the idea sometimes is to create like a uh, a very organic free form kind of hormone and where where the hormone activity is actually you you don't put any clay or anything on it it's just about the the actual geometry the the difference in the thickness at the spine versus the cutting edge and how that steel is holding that heat um and, and 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 also how quickly it's losing that heat when you do that first a couple seconds of quenching and then you pull it back out you're allowing it to to retain some of that heat and not fully transform properly basically and then you put it back into finished cooling um that's the that's the biggest reason I know of it I know some people like uh our our buddy uh Greg Sims and a lot of other people actually do this technique but they'll if especially if they're trying to get a really sharp hormone um or a very distinct hormone they'll actually quench into water first for a couple seconds and then finish in oil um mm. and uh that that brings that that really shocks the steel and and uh, ideally sets the hormone really nicely and then you finish the hardening in the oil uh the, but the problem with doing something like that is that uh, the likelihood of breaking blades is extremely high, even with people who have a lot of experience. Uh, when I was at Dragon's Breath Forge, the last hammer and I was at there, um, uh, Emilio, Emiliano of Sun and Stars Forge uh, and, and Matt, oh shit, I'm totally, uh, not Parkinson, but Matt, uh, fuck, I can't remember his name. But anyways. I think Matt fuck is fine. He knows who he is. <laughs> Matt, Matt, Matt fuck. fuck. Sorry, bud. Um, they they did a, a water quenching uh, kind of demonstration, and they have tons of experience in doing it. Although, uh, the only thing is they're not working out of their own equipment. And when when you're working out of somebody else, else's equipment, it's more likely to go sideways. But with all, even with all the experience they have, uh, you know, they quenched, I think, three or four blades, and only one of them did not crack. Uh, which is pretty rough, especially if it's a blade that you spend a lot of time forging and then trying to grind down to the right geometry to do all this properly and then for the damn thing to crack. Um, it, there's a strong likelihood of that happening, especially if it's new to you, a new process to you. Um, but for, from what I understand, to to 
tie this all up is that mostly it's for creating uh, either organic uh, or very sharp hormone activity in a knife. There you go. I ain't adding to that. Me neither. <laughs> All right. This next one is from Jason Moss. He says, when, when doing stock removal method on 10 series steel, making kitchen knives, chef pairing, etc., what thickness or of stock, uh, or are, or would guys start at, would you guys start at also on thin blades like these? Uh, are you guys heat treating before grinding in the bevels or after recommendations? Love the podcast. Uh, great listening. Uh, listen both for my work day and for my shop days. Uh, he also has a question about grinder. No, height. that's somebody else. I'm trying to find oh, that somebody guy's else. Name. You, you guys start oh, in. Right. I'm trying to find that guy's name. All right. Well, Craig, why don't you kick okay. it off? Okay. Um, stock removal. Um, I use, and I'm, I'm just trying to work out the the, the fraction here. So uh, two millimeter, um, fifty-two one hundred. If I'm using carbon steel, mm-hmm. and I've just looked at the nearest fraction to that is. Five sixty fourths. Is that does that make sense? To <laughs> five yeah, sixty fourths, you motherfucker. <laughs> no, no. Yeah, that's hour, that's what outrage. it says. The nearest fraction. So for, for Europeans, either two to two point two millimeter. Um, so pretty thin. Um, but yeah, five sixty fourths is what Google five is telling me is the nearest fraction. I don't know if you buy steel in five sixty fourths. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's all three thirty seconds. Foreign to me. Go ahead. Sorry. I'm sorry for calling but you an anyway. asshole, too. That was totally <laughs> unnecessary. I'm trying to find this guy's name for the next question. I'm trying to beat you guys to the punch. Uh, um, and typically, I won't do any um, of the bevel grinding before heat treat. Um, just because it's so thin. And if I'm working in batches, if, if, if one of them warps, it just throws me off. So I generally don't. Um, I'll... I'll profile them, or if I'm getting them laser cut, um, I'll then do um, the heat treat before any bevels whatsoever. Mm. Um, and, you know, I know it varies. Some people um, put some sort of, like, you know, rough sort of bevels on first, and, you know, to take a bit of meat off. Um, but when you're talking, you know, chef knives, they're generally going to be pretty thin. As I say, you know, two millimeters is is pretty thin. So I, I'll leave it, leave it as is and do everything afterwards. Right. Um, when I've done stock removal, I actually... I have my material pretty thick. It's about, uh, what is it? 180 thousandths of an inch, uh, which is probably around three millimeters, three and a half. Um, right. But then I do some primary grinding and I'll fully grind a taper all the way down to the point and down to the cutting edge and all along the blade. Um, but I'm doing, uh, but that's because, because my, uh, my quenching method is just straight into oil. If I was going to be using a, if I were to use a, like a plate quenching method, I would definitely want to keep a little bit more material flat on the, out on the blade just to help guide and keep the blade flat through the heat treating process. But, um, but yeah, that's, that's, and, and it's kind of the same for, uh, I have the same thickness stock for, uh, anything from a paring knife all the way up to a chef knife. Uh, I just, you know, grind away a little bit more material um, for a thinner, yeah. you know, for a smaller knife or a thinner geometry yeah. knife. And what I found, if, if if I am doing any, if I do grind before, as well as the obvious um, curve that you'd find, um, I also find that the edges can sometimes sort of wave a little bit, you know? Mm. Um, so, yeah, so I just don't do any of that anymore. Right. I just do wait until after heat treat for, sure. for everything. And, you know, it's surprising. I I... 
I always thought it would be a huge pain in the ass to do the grinding after fully hardening. But I, what was it? I think it was ABL actually, or something similar. Or it, it, sorry, it's 14C28N. I did, uh, it was a thick piece. It was probably 150 mm. thousandths, about three millimeters, two and a half millimeters. Um, and I, it was full thickness and I ground it down surprisingly quickly quickly and um mm. i think one of the biggest factors was the belt uh but um it's just it was surprising how easy it was to actually pull it down to a, a reasonable geometry even though it was fully uh full thickness and doing a lot of a lot quote unquote of stock removal um grinding i thought it was going to be more where you know more of a more of a hassle but it was really quick it took about 30 minutes uh to grind down a, yeah. i think it was like a nine inch uh chef's knife size blade so, so what belts were you using for that i was using oh, that's, <laughs> that's exactly it. Best abrasive belts for knife makers available in any size and at unbelievable prices go take a look at combatabrasives.com and get 15 percent off with the promo code knife talk 15 do it now <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But um, I, I also find that a, a hardened blade sort of grinds differently as well. Oh, sure. Um, because that's what I'm I'm used to. It it it, it I don't know it. I, I just quite like it. Whereas what I've tried to do with a softer blade and I've tried to grind that, I don't know, it just it just doesn't feel the same to me. So I suppose it's what you're used to as well. Yeah. But um yeah, for the thinner stuff definitely I, I don't do anything. Yeah, there's definitely a big yeah. difference in uh in how things grind out when it's for hard mm. versus soft. Yeah. What, what have you got, Jeff? What what thickness are you using, and um, are you doing any heat treat before? Um, if I I depends. Like if I'm doing, I do ninety percent of my knives are stainless steel. So a lot of times mm-hmm. I've found that I'm using three thirty seconds or sixteenth inch. So I'm not pre grinding, and I can get. I always feel like with plate quenching, if you grind too much beforehand, especially if it's real thin when you put them in the, when you put them between the plates, a lot of times you might not, you might get a little bit more bow and it has nothing to do with the knife. It has to do with how you put it in the, in the plates. So I usually do full thickness for the three thirty seconds, which is uh hair under an eighth of an inch or 16th. Um, when I've been doing uh, carbon steel and I'm oil quenching, I'll take material off. Um, I'll take a lot of material off and then because when you do the, you know, you you bring out after critical temperature and you're uh, dumping your dumping, you're 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 quenching in your oil. Um, you have that m- amount of time, you know, before you go past. I don't remember what we were talking about, seven hundred degrees or whatever, where you pull it out and it's already the austenite's converting to martensite, and you can actually, with you know, welder's gloves on or something, you can actually straighten out anything that you can mm. see. You have a little bit of a window where you can actually fix any uh, manual. Uh, manual problems and I, I, I do that so uh for carbon steel especially if it's like a, an eighth of an inch or three thirty seconds i'll take some material off um but yeah but yeah for stainless i usually I'm, i've been starting to leave it full thickness just and I, you think you think all right i'll take some material off now and it's saving me a, a pile of time when i do uh my smaller kind of hunting knives that are eighth of an inch thick i take material off just because it goes a, it does go a little bit faster and i'm not taking too much off before i uh, heat treat yeah. I'm sorry. I, okay. I just wanted you to know while you guys were talking, I raced to find that guy's name for the next question and I found it. I'm thrilled. Nice. Just Super to, thrilled. 
Okay. To go back to what you just mentioned, Craig, or Craig, uh, Jeff, about um, pulling the knife out and straightening it, that actually, to go back to the interrupted quench question, that might be another reason to interrupt your quench. But you want to make sure you at least make it past the perlite nose, which is just below 900 degrees. And to make sure you've safely gone past that, you definitely want to quench for at least around five or six seconds uh, to get down past that nose. And then it'll still, like Jeff said, you'll want some welding gloves on or something because it's going to still be blazing as hot. Um, but you can do some uh, some minor straightening adjustments and stuff very gently. Uh, no, no hammering or anything like that. Uh, but you can straighten it by hand and kind of bend it around and um, straighten things out and then put it back in the oil to finish the quench uh, to take it down to Martin site. So it just, cool. you made me think of that, Jeff. I, I didn't mean to, but I'm glad you, I did. You did. Thank you. I did. Good old. Well, you made the effort to find this. Oh my name. God! I think this is your question. P.S. Yeah. This is this is from Nick Nicholas Tanner. The last question he asked was, "How do we shave our testicles?" Finally, he's oh, yeah, given yeah, us yeah. a serious question, which is grinder <laughs> height. How high should your grinder be set? Say at elbow rest height, so you're stable or higher for a better view. What are your thoughts on grinder height? About thirty six inches above my testicles, generally. Jesus Christ! What is it, over your fucking forehead? <laughs> How tall are you? <laughs> Get the fuck out of here, 36 inches by your balls. That's like over the top of your head. Actually, I do have my grinder pretty high. Um, so I like my, my tool rest to be sort of <laughs> uh, nipple height, if you like, um, which is I know it's a lot higher than most people have because I know a lot of people like to look over the top of the blade um, to see how, how they're getting on. Um, but I like everything to be in my sort of eye line. Um, so yeah, mine is I probably say it probably higher than than most people's, but um I just find that comfortable. Um it does mean that my arms are up all the time, but um it, it, I just find that it's 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 easier on my back. Mm. Anyway. I, I like my uh the platinum to be up at what I, for lack of better term, just like shoving a height uh because I do a lot of freehand grinding and so I'm really relying on my body weight leverage to push into the to push into the grinder and so mm. like <laughs> not that you necessarily are shoving people all the time i played football so we did a lot of shoving but if you think about you know where you're standing and where you're pushing yeah your hand my hands are up around chest height like right at the base of my sternum and that's where i usually have my platen set up and it also gives allows me to still be able to see over the top if i need to look straight down the platen for any reason um, but yeah, I like, I like it around that height as well. Okay. They're quite scientific here. Yeah. We're saying it's shoving height yeah, and yeah. Yeah. height so far. Yeah. <laughs> well, you know, I, the one thing is I have my grinders high because I'm tall, but I fucking hate craning my neck down. Like drives me. Mm. It just mm. like, I hate my, when my neck is craning down looking. So I started to do yeah. something that was, I started to do something and I mentioned it a a few months ago, but I started doing something for freehand grinding that I've been doing more freehand grinding. And I basically, I tilt my platen back at a very steep angle. And then I'm actually, I'm holding the knife with my fingers and I'm not, I'm looking down on it as if you were not, it's not as straight as like if you were using sharpening stones, but it's close. And I'm getting more of a, I'm more comfortable grinding that way and going back mm. and forth where it's like in front of me instead of leaning down and looking down. So, yeah. And so if you top... are to oh, use, sorry. if you are to need to tip your 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 grinder platen back, why not tip your 
Broadback Ironworks grinder back. I, I love the guys. I got this from Broadback Ironworks. They're actually, their platen goes back farther than my other ones. And it's an awesome 2x72 grinder made for knife makers by knife makers. Vince and Ryan are knife makers. Both competed on Forge and Fire. Both know what they're doing, make beautiful knives. And they created this grinder to fit the needs that they wanted. It's incredibly versatile and intuitive. It's got a super long platen, which is great. I love how long the platen is. It's got a very long uh, adjustable work rest. So you can slide it from side to side and you can have, you know, if you're going, if you're using a jig, you can, and you want to have a long, if you're doing a long chef knife, your the, the work rest will accommodate it. Um, they're doing a lot of really cool new attachments for knife makers. They're having an integral uh, attachment and a surface grinder attachment. The price of shipping is rolled into the cost. So when you buy one, the shipping's included. So you don't have to calculate the shipping. And it's because it comes, you you put it together. I know Wildcraft, uh, Olivia over Wildcraft just got hers. She she sent me a message she's saying, is it hard to put together? And I'm like, I don't know, Chris Cash put mine together. But she put it together. She said it was pretty easy. So um, the guys at Broadbeck are doing a lot of great stuff. There's You don't need wrenches for to take off all the attachments. It's an intuitive machine. Go get yourself the VFD. You'll thank me for it. And go ask them. And they're super... If you have a question, go ask them directly. They're great. And they're always doing uh, discounts uh, every so often. But for right now, you can use Knife Talk 5 and it'll give you 5% off when you buy a 2x72 grinder. Broadbeck Ironworks. Nice. Okay, let's move on with some questions. We've got another from Nick. I think it's Nick Cancelmo. Um, hey guys, how do you balance exploration and creativity and productivity in your shop? And how do you experiment when time is money? It's a good question, that one. Um, let, let's start with Jeff this time. Uh, I wasn't paying attention. Uh, balance, creativity, and exploration. <laughs> All right, I'll tell you how. I don't. I try not to. Or I'll schedule time. That has become, time is not my friend. And um, what I'll do is if I want to do something, I will schedule it in. And I haven't had a lot of chance to like fool around or I I don't really do a lot of experimenting anyway, but I try to make it part of the schedule. I, I really don't, I see this as a business. It is a business and it, there's a lot of fun things I could be doing and I've put things away. So it looks like I could be getting into like making, I have all this hammer blank material that I could be fooling around with. And it just gets to the point where you have to be very concentrating. So there are days where I'll forge something. I schedule it in. I schedule it in, and then I keep, I write it in stone. So I know that Wednesday, oh, I'm super pumped for Wednesday. Wednesday, I'm going to be making pair of tongs. Or Wednesday, I'm going to be making this. Or when I'm making friction folders, or whatever. I have to schedule it in. Otherwise, you know, if you just start showing up and fooling around, you'll never get anything done. Sure. Mm. I'm the complete opposite. Um my shop here is is just full of distractions. So I've got I've got an area here where my sort of all my electronics kind of stuff is, and I've got you know my handle materials bit and all that. And I just the brewing yeah, setup. I'm always exper- <laughs> Yeah, I've I've always got experiments on the go of something, and I think it's it's one of those things where how do you set yourself aside as a knife maker and and and. You know, for me, 
Um, I think it's maybe the materials that I'm using and and it's sort of experiments that I'm doing to make mine maybe a little bit different to others. That's the you know the way I can maybe stand out a little. Mm. So for example, I've I've been three D printing these wooden hand handles and I've done you know various experiments with them and you know I've got some on finished knives which I'm using personally to see how they hold up. And I've got all these different things, and I've got the, the, the Lamswell stuff as well, which I'm still experimenting with. So I've got all these different things happening. Um, and I think with regards to sort of creativity, I think when when it hits, I just go with it. And and, and that's probably to my detriment. So, um, yeah, it, it's difficult. It's, it's a really difficult one for me because I, I do like to try doing different things all of the time. It keeps me interested, but it does take my eye off the main focus which is you know getting getting knives out um so yeah it, it is really difficult but i think if, if if you know if creativity does strike i think you need just need to go with it you know you can't you can't you know personally i can't schedule in creative i'm going to be creative on friday at two o'clock um when it hits i sort of drop what i'm doing and and you know explore that a little bit more um, and I know it's different for everybody, but this is just, this is just the way I work, and, and you know it's probably not the the wisest way of doing things. But um, yeah, it's it, it is a difficult one, and I think you know, it, I think when creativity does come, I think it should be massively valued, and I think it, it's 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 pretty important, particularly if you're trying to do something a little different. I completely yeah. agree with everything you said, but for me, I find. Don't say but. Don't say don't. I said but for me. I said but for me. I said but for me. I didn't say but. I said but for me. I find that I get more inner satisfaction from being disciplined and being able to set my mind to a goal, figure out how I'm going to do the goal, and then see the end result. So in regards to creativity, I'm sure, of course, if 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 it strikes you, do what you got to do. I have been in a situation where I stopped what I was doing. I got creative. I did something and I did not receive. I thought at the end of it, I was just like, yeah, this is fine. But you don't have the discipline to do what you're supposed to be doing. So I find, mm-hmm. and then th- look, I also, I went to school for art. I was a sculptor for many, many years and, and I de- got to, even then I tried to be disciplined, but I think it's important to, you know, if you're creative, I find you're a hundred percent right. But for me, I don't get the satisfaction out of, I get the satisfaction of being very purposeful having a game plan and sticking to it and then um and you know being happy the fact that i have control over my life yeah i, co- I completely 100 percent agree but you're right but you were right you know if, if you if something <laughs> i know but but go ahead but but what, what have you got Morocco? um how do you balance uh exploration I, creativity yeah i've really creativity? struggled with it over time over uh, it's only been in the last maybe last year that i've tried to be more uh structured about it uh because for the most part uh i was kind of kind of freewheeling uh, in a way uh you know i would get an idea about a damascus pattern and um because a lot of the stuff i was that was thinking of was stuff i'd never seen before or maybe i uh, nobody had done before and I was like, oh, I got to do this now before somebody else figures this out. Um, but it was very disruptive uh, to my workflow and staying on track. Uh, and so I've I've tried to be a lot more organized about um, kind of 
exploring that stuff and also trying to realize that, that uh, you know, it, it's not necessarily low hanging fruit that just anybody's going to figure out and come up with, you know, in the next few days or next, even the next few months. And so I, I have time to work out some of these things. And so it's better to be more, uh, more structured about it so that I'm getting you know, getting work done and getting the bills paid and then setting it aside, you know, once that, once a custom knife is done, then I, I'll set aside like a day or a couple of days to, uh, play with or experiment with a new pattern technique, um, and, and try it out and, and see if it works or not. And, but yeah, I've, I, I've, I've played a little bit in both on both sides of the spectrum and, and it's, it's hard. I, I, I really struggle with you know, setting, setting this time aside when, when it feels like I got to do this right now. Uh, but mostly, mostly the, uh, the, the sense of urgency comes from the, the worry, my own worry that somebody else is going to come up with the idea. And I, and realistically, like it doesn't ultimately matter if somebody else does something similar or does something first. It's, it's all interesting pattern stuff anyway. So, mm. um, yeah. So well, the arrogance, the arrogance of, 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 of it also is not arrogance, but I mean, my answer at least is it's, it's based on, these are all based on our time in our life at this point. You know, I'm not mm. 16, I'm not 18. So, you know, I've had yeah. my chance to do things and my, my direction has changed. So I think that when it comes to how you, you know, it's, it's based on your goals and direction. So at this point in time, like, you know, sometimes yes, sometimes no. I don't know. Yeah. I got nothing Makes else sense. to add. I don't know what the fuck. I thought I was going to have some sort of like, you know, this... eureka moment. I was just like, shut up, asshole. You're not having your eureka <laughs> moment right now. Yeah. Go on, All right. The next one comes from JT Gorenflow. Uh, when making a guard for a hidden tang knife, why do most people, especially in videos, file to a square hole your drill or mill started you uh with an end in your guard slot with a radius why not just round the tang as needed and avoid square corners the sides of the slots are filed to be in con in full contact and if filed carefully so will the ends uh stress risers enjoy the podcast started listening in january and i'm working my way through the back issues jt Gorenflow. so why do people a need to I don't know idea. I don't know. I, I read the question and I'm just like, what what are you talking about here? Mm. It's a good it's a good question. I something I've wondered as well because I don't do hidden tang knives. Yeah, and I always see people making the making filing to squares. And I think, well, why would you do that? Because again, you're avoiding those those sort of stressed sharp corners. But it, it helps with the epoxy. You know. Can't pot I mean that's oh, okay. one thing. It's I mean obviously you know, when you're doing those tangs, they're not like round dowels, but mm. you want to take this one on Mareko or should we uh, cut this try. question out? Of the no, no, no. <laughs> I, I could try. I could try. So I think part of the reason is because it's not necessarily about the, you shouldn't be fitting. You should be fitting the guard up to the knife, not the knife up to the guard, if that makes sense. So if you're looking at, like, especially from an ABS perspective of a, even just like a simple hunter, that's a hidden tang. Uh, it's very flat in that Ricasso area 
Um, and then at the shoulders, they're not perfectly square. They're actually radius slightly, but where that enters into the tang or in, sorry, into the guard, it needs to be square in the guard. Um, it, it's kind of hard to think of, I guess, imagine abstractly, but you don't want to break those shoulders because, uh, 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 at the bottom of the, or I guess break the sharp corners on the bottom of the, the knife shoulders where the blade ricasso transitions into the tang, uh, because then you're actually, you're, you're creating, you're creating stress risers in the blade. So I would say that you really want to try to fit the guard up to, like I said before, fit the guard up to the blade, not the blade to the guard and the blade, it, it it's going to have, I, I mean, if you're doing things, yeah, at least, what I would think I got would be you the strongest you'd have little radius off the bottom shoulders not just sharp straight corners on the bottom shoulders where the Ricasso transitions to the tang and then uh and then you fit the guard to suit that and ultimately it's gonna look like a rectangle perfect that's it you, you saved <laughs> that you okay. saved that question I was just like I don't fucking know <laughs> Jesus Christ. Thank God you saved that one. I was like, I don't know. I don't know if I even read that one. I was just focusing on the guy's name. He put it in, uh, wanted us to spell it, say it, say it phonetically, gore and flow. He was worried that you were going to do Benjamin Jam and Cocker again. I was kind of hoping for that. <laughs> you know, now's a good time to talk about where another of our sponsors. Well, two of them, actually. So... Um, we all use um, RhinoWet by Indasa, uh, Indasa USA. They're actually a Portuguese company, um, but they make the world's best um, sandpaper, particularly for knife makers. Um, it goes a long, long way. Um, it saves you time, and when it saves you time, it saves you money. So we all use it. It's the best sandpaper out there. That's um, RhinoWet from Indasa, Indasa USA on um, Instagram. Um, but you can get that at Texas Farrier Supply, uh, along with lots of other supplies for knife makers. Um, but they've got all the all the grits that you need of of Rhino Wet. So go take a look at Texas Forest Supply. If you use the promo code Knife Talk Ten, you'd also get ten percent off your order. So go go take a look. Um, as well as the Rhino Wet, they've got lots of other stuff. So it's worth taking a look. TexasFarriersupply dot com. That's awesome. All right, the next one is from uh, K H Daily Knives. This is Kyle Daly? If you could spend a week learning a new skill, or with an uh, or with any maker alive slash dead, who or what would it be? Hmm, that's a good one. So it's got to be a new skill. A new skill. Yeah, new skills. Okay. Um, I tell you what, I've been into lately. I've I've been um, taking um, like Skillshare courses in um, like photography, filmmaking, all that kind of stuff. Um, so there's a, there's a guy on YouTube called uh, Peter McKinnon. Um, and he's he's just like he at the moment he's like the Casey Neistat of, of YouTube. He's he's the darling of YouTube. He he puts out these amazing amazing videos. But um, a lot a lot of them are sort of tutorials on camera skills and editing and shooting that kind of thing. Mm. Um, and he just seems like he's Canadian. He seems like a really cool guy. So I think yeah, spending time to learn from him would be would be pretty awesome. Um, so yeah, Peter McKinnon. Um, who's a who's a YouTuber, but he's he's an incredible filmographer and photographer. And he, as well as his sort of YouTube channel, um, he does these like little films of just like simple things. Like he did this film about um, how he got this perfect shot of these mountains up in Canada, and so they went away for the weekend. But he sort of documented the, the trip as well and made it into a, like, a bit of a feature film. So yeah, 
I'd, I'd love to know more about filmography and photography because you know i'm pretty much winging it and um mm-hmm. yeah and i think that'd be a good skill to have nice have you got Jeff? well funny enough i uh i've been the one person i've been wanting to to, to meet with and talk to i have been meeting and talking to I've actually been messaging with a radio guy uh greg opie hughes uh formerly of the opie and anthony podcast uh opening opie and anthony mm-hmm. radio show and now he's got his own show called opie radio and He's been, uh, he introduced me to Carl Ruiz and a few other people, and he's been like messaging me recently. And I'm, I'm going to, I'm supposed to be on this podcast soon. He, he, I don't, you know, these, you know, things are crazy right now, but I really, I love broadcasters. I love, um, how they occupy your time. I loved his show with, uh, when he was on with, with Anthony, and I loved his show. His show now is great. And you talk, talking to people and, and broadcasters. Same thing at Howard Stern. I love those guys. I would. I'm looking forward to speaking with Opie because I've been listening to him for like 15 years. So hopefully, I get on that show with him and uh, we'll get you get squared away. But uh, yeah, I, I I love broadcasting. I love what we're doing now. I love what we're going to be doing, and um, I want to get better at you know being a broadcaster. Hmm. Cool. Nice. Cool. What, what have you got, Marekko? A new skill? A new skill. <clears throat> One th- I mean, I'll, I'll never probably, I'll probably never get into folding knives, uh, into actually making them, but I would love to learn the skill of making folding knives um, and just the approach and techniques. And my friend, John Doyle, he's up in Michigan. He's a phenomenal knife maker. He's, uh, I think he's just J Doyle knives on Instagram. Um, but he makes these slick, super simple, or I, I say simple, but there's a lot of complexity in making something look simple. And he just makes these really clean folders that I absolutely love. And I'd love, he's like I said, he's a really good guy. I'd love to uh, go spend some time um, working with him and, and learning some of those skills and seeing his approach because I just really appreciate how he uh, how he approaches those those style of knives, um, and I'm gonna add actually an extra one. I think I would love to learn live fire cooking and better understand cooking over live fire. Mm. Um, I just I'm just winging it, and I'm I don't know shit really, basically. <laughs> and so uh, I would actually love to go over to Hawaii and hang out with Neil and his wife. His wife does a phenomenal job cooking over live fire. Uh, she she comes from Brazil, but it's uh, like on the border of Chile, or, or maybe it's Argentina. I can't remember this the village that she grew up in, and where they do a lot of live fire cooking along the lines of like Francis Malman kind of style stuff. And so that would be really fun to better understand and. May I ask how you, all that works? Just out of curiosity, and and this yep. is with peace and love. This expression, live fire. What's going on with the live fire? I mean, it's your fi- it's well, fire, it's... not fire. I mean, you're cooking <laughs> with a fire, not fire. No dead Unless fire. you're on an electric stove, <laughs> that doesn't happen. I mean, you're, you're grilling. Nobody cooks on an electric stove. I'm just, oh. I'm just oh. saying, you don't call it. You know, I mean, it's like you're grilling but, and you're cooking, right? But it. it it's like the difference of working a coke forge versus a propane forge, right? It's yeah. very you different. You tame the beast. So it's it's yeah. it's working with you know fuel that is it, it's not yeah. a consistent sort. You know working fire. with 
logs and wood. I understand. Versus a propane burner yeah. that you can either dial up or down. Yeah, because <laughs> but we it's all it's just the our... term that's used. It's, I'm not calling it that. I'm it's not, just what's I'm used. Not, it's I'm the just, nomenclature. I, it's the no, it's new nomenclature. It's just like a little bit like all right, life. I understand. I get you. It's you know, gilding the lily in this you know. <laughs> Some, something's no, upset nothing's you today, upset Jeff. me. Nothing's upset me at all. I'm, I'm, I mean, I am irritated. I am irritated, but not for you guys. I just, I was just looking to okay. stir it up a little bit. Can I, can I ask the last? Are we going to do a couple more questions? Um, yeah, I tell. You, let's do one more question. Um, you pick if you've got one. I have a good one because want. I got a special uh, guy answering it too. Uh, MMT Makers says I'm on my third or fourth style friction folder. But I'm having trouble keeping consistent friction on the blade. Either it's too tight or too loose mid-fold. And mm. we don't do a lot of folding knife questions. No. But I thought I'd... No. I th do you guys have any ideas? Not okay. a clue. I didn't I want... I, do you I have any ideas? Charles, I would refer to Charles Ellis. Well, that's very funny that you said that because I did refer to... I sent this message to Charlie Ellis, a.k.a. Charles Lionheart. I've made a few friction folders, but I don't want to pretend like I'm the master. So I went to the master. Charlie Ellis, a.k.a. Charles Lionheart, our roving correspondent, says, sounds like a <laughs> parallel problem. If the tang isn't an even thickness, that will be the reason. Also, some five or ten thousandth washers will make it a little bit smoother. So it's yeah, that that whole tang has to be parallel. Otherwise, it, if it's got only dips in it, it'll uh, and also your the pressure of your pin. Like a lot of those pins are you know it's soft, so you can give it a whack and and um, it'll tighten things up a bit. But yeah, but for, go follow Charlie Ellis. Charlie Ellis is Charlie Lionheart. He makes amazing friction folders. There we Best go. In class. Looking down the list there, Morocco, is there anything any burning questions there that you want to get on with before we before we move on? Mm -mm -mm. Uh I just see just below actually the one Jeff just read. Somebody's got a Damascus question or Damascus knife question. I'll read off real quick. Uh yeah, so sure. at Thomas Cass says, uh, I'm working on my first Damascus knife. Do do I have to just try not to scratch the spine, spine while sculpting the handle, or is it safe to put the handle in the acid? I'm using golden amboina burl, uh, if that helps. So thanks. Uh, I would suggest definitely not putting the wood in the acid, unless you can somehow figure out or you have a steady hand. Uh, you can paint a resist around the boundaries of all of the wood where it comes into contact with the steel that you're hoping to etch. Otherwise, uh, we've talked about this before. You would, you, I would suggest just temporarily pinning the handle scales on, sculpting the handle, taking it off, then etching the blade, and then putting it back together, doing the final bolt-up cleanup and stuff. And then that way, you're only just cleaning the, the caps, of the, especially if you're using Corby bolts. Uh, you're just cleaning that last little bit. Uh, you, you don't have to do any fussing with the 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 contours uh, where it comes into contact with the front or the back side of the tang so what would I, you at use least as, i think that's what he's asking when you say paint the paint the resist what would you use as a resist yeah so i just use uh i use clear nail polish 
uh, usually a nail hardener. I feel like it, uh, that was a, that was first suggested to me by Adam DeRosiers. And I do believe that it is a little bit more stable, uh, than just like a, like a top coat nail polish. I don't know if you guys know anything about nail polish, but basically it's like paint putting down a primer, primer layer, layer, and then you do got a top coat. But anyways, the, the nail hardener is, uh, and the clear coat is usually the base layer that you put down. And so you can get it at the Dollar Tree for like a buck. It's super, uh, super cheap and easy to use. And so you can paint that on and that will act as a, as a blocker. Basically, it'll keep the acid from coming into contact um, with your handle material. It's, I mean, that's how I actually do my handles. Um, but it, it's, I only have to resist a small portion because I do, uh, you know, a, a hidden tank construction. And so, um, you know, I'm not having to worry about basically dunking the entire handle in, but I do know that that is a thing that some people do. Um, but they are also taking it pretty serious precautions of making sure to paint a resist around, um, around the, uh, kind of the transition between the, the handle material and the wood, uh, so that, uh, you know, the wood isn't getting stained because the wood will be stained instantaneously. Uh, especially a blonde or golden colored wood, but even darker woods, yeah. they, they all get stained by the ferric acid. So whatever you can do to keep it from coming in contact with acid, that wood from coming in contact with acid, the better. And the safest ways to just not have the wood in there at all. I would say. Perfect. Cool. There we go. Let's change things up a little bit this week. So whereas we normally do um, beefs in a community showcase, we haven't done this one for a while. Hey, cuties. What's the best thing you've had in your mouth this week? <laughs> best thing you've eaten this week. I need, I need a minute to think let's about start something. With, let, yeah, let's start with Jeff. My kid made summer rolls yesterday. Oh. And uh, those are like, it's like a rice paper with uh, vegetables and some vermicelli noodles and some herbs and stuff. And then she made a... Uh, Kind of like a peanut soy sauce, dipping sauce. Man, they were good. They were so good. I was so proud of her because she found a recipe she really wanted to do. She she ordered the parts that, you know, the the ingredients that we couldn't get locally. And she just had a game plan stuck to it, and they came out awesome. And I was so proud of her. So I would definitely nice. say that was that would be the, the best thing I've eaten this week. Nice. What what have you got, Marekka? I I did see those pictures as well. You put on Instagram. You did a great job. I was very proud. You know, I like that. Cooking and knife making. This all, in my opinion, is the same. It's like taking ingredients and proper technique and giving it to someone. It's having a game plan and seeing it through. So Mm. I did notice when you said she'd ordered the parts and brought it. Well, (laughs) ingredients. That's right. Right. Yeah. That's right. What have you got, Marekka? So I've been making my own pizza dough lately, and oh yes, and I. uh, I have not been putting pineapple on it, Jeff. You could if so you want. You know. Don't bother me. You're halfway across the country. It had nothing to do with me. We, we don't have it. <laughs> Anyways, no, uh, it was so on Mother's Day. Uh, that was what we did for dinner. And um, But I've been using uh, this recipe from uh, Kenji Lopez-Alt over on Sirius. Or, yeah, Sirius Eats. Uh, he's got uh, a whole section of it. I think he actually calls Pizza Lab, and he goes through all these different techniques of grilling pizzas in wood fire ovens and home ovens and all this kind of stuff. But he's got a really great recipe for uh, New York-style pizza dough. And uh, it's really easy. I just mix it by hand with, like, a wooden spoon in a bowl. 
and it proofs really quick. Uh, I think technically you're supposed to let it uh, ferment for 24 hours. I just do the quick version and I just let it do its thing during mm. the day for anywhere from an, an hour to like five hours. Uh, and then I roll it out and... Uh, but the thing that we've been doing with it the most that that's very different that my son absolutely loves is we make garlic knots. I don't know if you guys are familiar with garlic knots. Sure. But uh, for anybody listening who's not, basically you take the dough and instead of – so I stretch it out like I normally would. But instead of putting pizza toppings on it, I take the pizza cutter and cut it into strips and then tie them in just into tiny little knots. And uh, – but I don't bake. I think typically people bake them. I've actually been cooking them on my stovetop uh, in my nonstick pan and with a little uh, avocado oil and, and some seasoning and garlic powder f- for sure and a little bit of salt. And it cooks them thoroughly and you cook it up on both sides. But what's beautiful about cooking it on the pa- in the pan is that it gets a nice crispy uh, text like edge on both sides. And so you got a mixture of like that crispy crust with the uh, kind of like the spongy elastic interior of the pizza dough and, and the garlic flavor and you dip it in marinara sauce nice. and it's delicious. Sounds good as hell. Are you putting any sugar into your, into your Definitely. dough when you're making your, your dough? Yeah, yet? just not a ton. Just, I think it's like a, a couple teaspoons or a t- couple tablespoons yeah. for four, for four cups. God bless you. Cups. Baking is not for me. It's chemistry. That's the easiest it's, one. You just, I'm <laughs> you sure. just follow the directions. Bake, I've always thought that bakers are like machinists and cooks are like blacksmiths. It's a lot more, you have a little bit more, you know, it's not as scientific. You know, machinists, are, you're, you're very like, you have to be a certain way. It's very uh, scientific. And mm-hmm. I, I'm not, I did a little bit, but I don't, a bit more measured. I don't like it. Yeah. Well, mine is going to be very similar to Morocco's. So um, we finally lit our pizza oven last night. So um, again, making the pizza dough and, and all the rest of it. So and they come out amazing. Awesome. So so happy. We've, I mean, we've been over here now in France for coming up to three years, and and we bought this way before we come to France. We used to use it in the UK. We had it shipped over, and this thing is bloody heavy, sure. and it's just sat there in the garden because the garden hasn't been ready. Because we've made an area in the garden now which we can use with like a little outdoor kitchen area. And um, we used it last night and it was fantastic. I loved it. So, yeah, uh, the uh, the pizzas that I made last do, night, by far the best thing I've had in my mouth this week. How do you measure the heat in the oven? Is there a way? I've got one of those infrared laser things, you know. And how long does it take um, for the pizza to be done? Uh, oh, yeah. to be cooked. Oh, seconds. God. Uh, so it takes about an hour f- to get up to the temperature. Um, but when you put it in, l- less That's than a the minute. right way. That's the way it's supposed to be, like 90-second yeah. pizzas. Well, look at you. Yeah. So I'd say, yeah, around about a minute maybe. Um, and it's, 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 it's not so much about the heat in the oven. It's getting as much heat as you can into, the, into that um, stone right. base. So, so what I do, I have lots of hot um, – so I, I use oak, uh, and I have lots of um, oak chips in there. Mm. Um, which you know that they're, they're white, they're white hot, and I spread them out all over the floor. Then just before I put the pizza in, I'll sweep these to the side so that so that stone floor is is super super hot. Oh, nice. um, and when I take it out, I'll then put the the chips back over the floor oh, again to keep it. it that's keep a it cool idea. I've never cool. heard of that. That's a fucking. But even wake even wake in this morning, um, going out into the garden, the oven was still hot. Sure. It was. It's crazy how much heat they sort of hold in them because they've got obviously that sort of bell area and all that heat just, just wh- stays what in. What temperature are you running it at? 
Um, well, temperature is C for me. So it's around about 850 it gets to mm. um, in Celsius. I don't oh, know what shit. that is, Fahrenheit. 850 but Celsius? But it's, it's sort of three times... Three times more than an, you know a home That's oven. Fifteen hundred and sixty-two degrees in Fahrenheit. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah, you could you could you can nearly do a knife in there, <laughs> but um, it is yeah it is super super hot. So yeah, they, they cook in you know in a matter of that's you the know, correct that's seconds. the correct amount. It's supposed to be ninety seconds on those on those kinds of mm. those wow. little ones. Oh, it sounds great. I saw yeah. the video. Love the video. <laughs> Until oh, the mouth Jesus shot, Christ. you said he, he, he crunches down, and the and the sauce is going through his teeth. And it's, ugh, I don't want to look. Oh, your it's the mouth. best. I don't want to look in your mouth. <laughs> What's the best thing you have in your but mouth? But we do the camera. we've been doing this thing every saturday where um all my family we get together on zoom and we do like a like a quiz like a fun quiz every week and um so we were in a rush i'd I'd lit the oven and was like oh nine o'clock we're doing our our quiz so it was a case of get them cooked out as quick as possible and um ready for the quiz but um yeah i did the quiz do you mean i had pizza sauce all over me all over my (laughs) t-shirt we did a we had a my (laughs) in-laws who was their 40th anniversary last night and we ordered dinner and that we were doing the same thing we were rushing to make dinner, mm. eat the dinner before the Zoom meeting. It was just like, this is how we're going to live our lives now? We're, do we yeah. eat before the Zoom meeting or after the Zoom meeting? I'm like, Hillary, I've got to eat before this fucking thing. If I got to sit here and listen to these people, yeah. I, my in-laws, i gotta, I got to eat something. Scheduling, scheduling I got to eat something, for God's sakes. Oh, so there you are. <laughs> but yeah, okay, that was the best thing we've had in our mouth this week. Um what about um, what we want to happen this week? Where are we going with this? The dream for the week. Where would we mm. like to be this time next week? Let's start with Morocco this time then. I'm hoping for more pizza, actually. Uh, no. <laughs> uh, <laughs> to go on more. Yeah, no. To go on more hikes uh, with the dude. He really... Yeah, he's been struggling with wanting to go outside. He's such a bookworm, which is great. Uh, but the weather has been getting really nice around here and it's not too hot, but it's, uh, it's just beautiful. Like the lush greenery and everything. And it's a great place to go for walks. And so doing this whole Winnie the Pooh search thing has been awesome (laughs) to get him out. And, uh, so to do more hikes like that, uh, I'm hope I'm looking forward to some pizza this week. I'm actually, it's probably not going to be this coming week, but in the future, uh, I started, I, I got this book on ice cream making by Jenny Brittenbauer, who's uh, from Columbus, Ohio. And uh, I'm I'm looking to start making ice cream kind of on a somewhat regular basis. Or not super regular, but, uh, you know, as, mu- as regular as I bake cookies, which I think the last time I baked cookies was about six months ago. So, <laughs> so <Okay. laughs> but just getting into ice cream, because there's actually less sweetener, less sugar and sweeteners that go into the ice cream. Um, and I just... I. I just fucking love ice cream so much and I hate spending money on it. And, the, and I, they never, you know, I have all these ideas for different flavor combinations that I would love to try. So like what? last time I made ice cream, I made a, uh, what was it? It was strawberry. It was free, made from strawberry freezer jam that my, my sister-in-law had made and cardamom and the combination. It almost had cardamom has almost a, like a cinnamon kind of flavor to it. But it's slightly, it's mm-hmm. a little bit more floral, I guess. I don't know how else you describe it, but the combination was awesome. So that's nice. what I'm looking forward to. So what would you grind down the, the cardamom pods? Uh, I would actually just buy this, the, the already pre-ground, ground cardamom seasoning. Right. Okay. Yeah. Nice. Nice. 
What about you, Jeff? Where would you like to be this time I next want, year? <laughs> next week? I want. I want. I I want to spend a little bit more time with my kid. We she just got some bad news. Besides her school being canceled for the year, which we kind of figured out, she found out that this was going to be her last year as a camper at this camp that she loves. And we were gonna. She was going to do a whole month mm. sleepaway camp, and they just canceled it. And she is fucking. Oh, so I really want to spend super. some time with her. She was looking forward all year long. All she cares about is going to summer camp. And now that she's going to too old next year to do it. So I, I want to spend some time with her and spend some time with her, do some things and figure something out. The rest of the day, we're going to do something together. And she's just a good kid and I feel terrible for her. So I'll do that. Mm-hmm. And then uh, my other dream is that knife talk podcast climbs the charts to ensure, <laughs> ensure we are the number one knife making podcast on this planet. Oh, we, are. we are. I want it. I want we our. Are. I want our points higher, and I want. I want a higher ratings. That's what I want. That's my dream. Okay. <laughs> um, what dream have I got? We got the 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 sun has come back to us. So, so um, yeah, I want. Spend more time out in our garden um, with the kids, and we've got them at like a little paddling pool kind of thing. So you know them splashing around and so on, enjoying themselves. Um, I think even going back to you know we three of us have got kids, and you know Jeff was just saying that you know the hard time that his his daughter has had. I think everybody's concerned about you know work and you know how everybody's getting on and family and so on. But I think like the kids have just you know particularly my kids that they're, they're so young they've just got on with it they don't know the difference. But you know, I think I think well, I'm fortunate that you know our kids haven't started school yet, so they're not missing all their buddies and so on. You know, I think kids have just they've got through this so well. So yeah, I'm hoping to spend more time, you know, enjoying ourselves with the kids as we're not just holed up in the house, being out in the garden, plenty of vitamin D, plenty of sunshine, um, plenty of splashing around in the pool. Um, and work-wise, um, you know, things starting to come into me now. So you know, it's things that I've had on order for so long. Um, we started getting some posts at the end of last week, so I'm hoping you know this week we can start seeing some things in, and I can ramp up work again, which would which would be nice. lovely. So yeah, things are looking bright. There you are. That's a show. That's a show. That's what pff, nearly a two hour show again. We're doing well. We're doing well. Um, as as Jeff said, we'd love to see us rising in the charts. So um, jump on iTunes or whatever you're using for your podcast. Give us a a, a rating. Um, it doesn't necessarily help with the charts, but you know it may you know turn other people onto the show. Um, if you if you know anybody else who think would benefit from listening to the show, let them know. Let them know that would be really cool. Um, but yeah, aside from that, stay safe, and we shall speak to you next week. Bye bye. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.